Jess was speaking last week about uh, not having a whinge binge and telling fear to buzz off. Our focus today is on a character who wasn't whinging, but he was doubting. He was doubting the words of God and he spoke that doubt out. Let's have a look at the Bible passage. It's in Luke chapter 1. For those who are taking notes and who like to put a heading, um, it's a little bit corny. I've called it from doubter to shouter. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure if this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary and wondering why he was taken so long. When he finally came out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realised from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterwards, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. So Zechariah and his wife are both described as people who are righteous in God's sight. They observe his commands and regulations. They are good people. That was a little bit uncommon in those days. Many priests were rather pious and overly indulgent and self-centered. 
And we see an example in the Good Samaritan of the priest who walked straight past the injured man. But these two were humble, faithfully served God, and they lived in an obscure village just outside of Jerusalem rather than in the elite end of town. Now, the way things worked in those days was that each order of priests, and there were 24 of them, was given a stint in the temple um, from time to time, so perhaps two weeks per year. So Zechariah was uh, to go and uh, take his turn, and uh, when he was rostered on, he was one of a number of priests who were on temple duty that week. <clears throat> Excuse me. But this year also, he was chosen by luck of the draw to uh, light the incense candle and offer incense. So that was a really special honour. And with over a thousand priests on duty over the year, the chances of being chosen weren't very high. So it was a very special thing to do, perhaps a little bit of a career highlight for him. But if that wasn't enough, while this was happening, the angel Gabriel appeared to him. Now, that all adds up to a pretty good day in the office. A pretty good day in the office. But it only gets better. God says that he's heard their prayers. And he'll allow Zechariah and Elizabeth to have a son. But not just anyone. Someone who would be great in the eyes of the Lord. Someone who would turn the hearts of the people towards God. And prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. Isn't he a great guy? I've never had so many people watch me drink water before. Glad I didn't spill it. Thank you, Ian. So they're going to have this amazing son, John. And in a way, John is the link between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's the last of those fiery prophets that we read about in the Old Testament, the one who paves the way for Jesus. So the great day, sorry, the good day in the office has suddenly become a great day in the office. Zechariah's been chosen to go in to light the candle, the incense. There's been an angel. Their promise or their their hope for uh, the birth of a child has been fulfilled. This child's going to be an amazing person. So it is just an amazing time. Zachariah's response, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man. Another version of the Bible, Zachariah said to the angel, but this is impossible. I'm an old man now. Another version of the Bible, Zechariah said to the angel, Do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man. In other words, yeah, sure, like that's really going to happen. He doubted. He was a doubter. Our minds can be so narrow, and we must remember that God is God. In Isaiah 55, we read, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Now, the real irony in this is that Zechariah's name means the Lord has remembered. 
Elizabeth's name means the promise of God. They had no reason to doubt God. And that's my first point this morning. There is no reason to ever doubt God. As a priest, Zechariah would have known the scriptures well. He would have known the story of Abraham who was promised to be the father of a nation, yet had no children. He would have known about the birth of Abraham and Sarah's son, Isaac, and how Isaac also desired to have a son, and God kept his promise there. Zechariah would have known the stories of people crying out to the Lord, being heard and being rescued time and again. He would know that God keeps his promises. He would know that God performs miracles. He would know that even when the mountains shake and the sea roars, that God is our shelter and strength, that God is our light and salvation, that we don't need to fear, that God loves his people. He would have known all of that. But knowing is one thing and really believing is another. And it's the same for us. We can read wonderful stories of of the miracles that God performed. We can learn about Jesus. We can learn about his love for us. Hear the testimonies of those who have gone before us. But do we really believe it? Is it part of who we are? Or is it just entertaining stories? Can we believe in God and trust him when life's going well, when we've had a good day in the office? Can we believe God and really hold on to what he says when life is uncertain? Just keep in mind, there is no reason to doubt. The promises of God are solid. But the test is when we're called to step up and stand on them. There's an old hymn. One of the verses says, Standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Anyone know that hymn? There's a few of us. (laughs) Perhaps for Zechariah, a better response would have been similar to the man in Mark chapter 9 who brought his son to Jesus for healing. And he said, Lord, I believe you can heal. I believe, but help my disbelief. And that expresses the fact that, yes, God, we want to believe in you, but sometimes it's a bit hard. And help me during those times. So the story continues. The angel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. Can you imagine an angel talking with you who some moments before was talking face to face with God? Isn't that incredible? That blows my mind. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. It reminds me of a scene out of the Lord of the Rings movie where the wizard Gandalf is talking with Bilbo and Bilbo's fussing around and uncertain and challenging the wizard who just wants to help. And finally the wizard's had enough and he stands up to his full height and the light and the music sort of makes it all effective as well and he says, Bilbo Baggins! 
in a big, loud, booming voice and explains, I'm not trying to harm you. I'm here to help you. Anyone know that scene? Any Lord of the Rings fans? And I can just imagine the angel Gabriel standing up to his full height and saying, Zechariah, I'm not trying to harm you. You can trust God. You can trust God. And it in a way seems harsh that Zechariah is, is punished for his doubt, for not believing. And especially if you read on in the chapter, it's only a few verses later that Gabriel, who was having a very busy time, was speaking similar words to Mary, saying, Mary, you're going to have a son. And Mary's response is very similar to Zechariah. In Luke 1.34, Mary asks the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. So why was she not punished? Zechariah said, how can this happen? Mary says, how can this happen? I think there's a few reasons for that. One is that Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for this outcome, had been praying for a child. And the angel came to them and said, God has heard your prayers. I am here in response and in answer to your prayer. Zechariah's question was doubting, even though the angel was there to answer the prayer. By comparison, Mary hadn't been praying for a child. Her response was rather to clarify a few details. Gabriel, I know it takes two to tango. At the moment, I'm flying solo. How's it all going to happen? <laughs> so perhaps not so much as doubt as a little quizzical, maybe. But the second reason I think that Mary is, is different is it tells us something about God's character. Even though the words of Zechariah and the words of Mary in response were very similar, God knows what's behind the words and the heart of the matter. And so it's not so much about the words are similar, it's that the hearts are very different. One was a heart of doubt. And if we're truly to be people who speak life to others, we have to be people who have life in our heart, who know life, who live life, who understand who God is. You know this... The title of this series is Speak Life. I think in a way, even though it's important what comes out of our mouth is said and said well, I think it's more about what's in our hearts because out of the, out of the heart the mouth speaks. And we can try and say all the right things and give it an outward appearance that things are going well, all's fine, but God sees our heart and we can't fill him. So Zacharias spoke these words of doubt and lost the ability to speak for a time. I've referred to this as a punishment, but let's have a closer look at that. I don't really think Zechariah was sent to the naughty chair. I think it was for his own good. There was benefit in the silence and reflection. And that benefit's often lost in our highly connected world. We're in constant communication to have a period of silence and reflection is really valuable. At the start of the passage, 
that we read this morning, time was taken to find out about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were righteous. Their character was godly. I think God, by taking away Zechariah's ability to speak, saved him from being harmful to his own faith and the faith of the others. We know that there was a large crowd waiting outside to hear from Zechariah. From their perspective, good man goes in, good man comes out, just that he can't speak anymore. They don't know why, they don't know what's happened. It's been one of the most amazing experiences in his life and he can't tell anybody immediately about it. But imagine if he could speak when he came out. Guys, that was incredible. I've just seen this angel and the angel has promised that Elizabeth and I would have a child. I can't see how that's going to happen. Really, I think the angel perhaps has got the wrong address. You know, I think, uh, I think God's perhaps um, a little bit muddled up with this one. But who knows, you know, we'll see what happens. And I guess we might sort of joke about that, but it goes to show that if we're doubting and if we're speaking those words of doubt to other people, it can negatively impact their faith. How important is it that we speak words of encouragement and of life and of trust in God? Malachi chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says, The words, the words of a priest's lips should pers- uh, preserve the knowledge of God and people should go to him for instruction. For the priest is the messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. That was his job, to preserve the words of God and to be the messenger of God to the people. If he had doubt in his heart and was really uncertain about what God was doing, how could he speak words of truth? How could he testify that God is faithful? There is life or death. And in the words of doubt from a man who's known to be godly, there could be significant impact on others. And his silence prevented him from speaking against God but it also gave him time to ponder his situation. The Bible doesn't say, but we can only imagine how those silent months must have been for Zechariah. He had so much time to reflect on the very last thing he had said. God, how can this be? You've got to be kidding. And what would the next words he say going to be? He had time to think of the reason why he doubted. He had time to think that it was only for a season and that he could speak again, that God was merciful. I wonder when he began to plan his comeback, what would he say when he could first speak again? I wonder if he jotted down some ideas, reworked it, practiced it through in his mind, sought the leading of God, And I wonder how he felt as the birth of John drew near and he knew that as well as the gift of the son, the gift of speech and a heart full of trust in God was also his. Now that's an amazing day at the office. The name John means God is gracious and no doubt Zachariah knew that to be true. 
So if the last thing Zacharias said doubted God, the very next thing he was going to say would be to testify to the goodness and faithful and mercy of God down through the ages. And we can read about Zechariah's response. I won't read it now. It's in Luke 1, um, down through to the end of the chapter from uh, verse 67. There's two parts to what Zechariah says when he can speak again. One is praise and adoration to God, who is trustworthy. The second part of what he said is to speak words of life over his little son. Zechariah had experienced that God's promises are true, that God will keep his word. He can be trusted. There is no need for doubt. God is faithful. And Zechariah wants to tell others this in no uncertain terms. He's become the shouter instead of the doubter. So, an interesting story of a man who doubted and learnt that God is rock solid. Maybe we can relate to some of that, take it on board, consider we have no reason to doubt that God will keep his promises, that it's good to be silent and reflect from time to time. But there's a whole lot more in this for us. We've been focusing on the life and the words spoken by a priest who lived some 2,000 years ago. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we're reminded that we are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful life. We are priests. We are priests. Remember what we read about their duties from the verse in Malachi? Malachi said the words of a priest's lips should preserve the knowledge of God. That is your job too. Preserve the knowledge of God. Be the messenger of the Lord of heaven. After having spent time with God, just as Zechariah did, and you walk out into the waiting crowd, whether it's family or friends or workmates or school friends, what are the first words on your lips? What is it that you say to those people when you come out of the presence of God? Are they words of doubt, words of disbelief? Or words of life and testimony to the goodness of God? Are your words expressing trust in God's promises? Or do they cause others around you to waver in their faith? Do you have a reputation for being someone who seeks to live a godly life? Just as Zechariah and Elizabeth did. But your words don't seem to match. Do you claim to know the living God? The God who wants to give you life in all of its abundance. But yet you're constantly saying how tough life is and how there seems to be no direction. Are you one who says, who claims to know the joy of the Lord is your strength? But yet the words you say are far from joyful. Your tongue has the power of life and death. 
And as a royal priest, your job is to speak life. I want to conclude this morning by looking at some verses from the Bible that will help us to understand more about the power of the tongue. And I hope that they encourage you to so intentionally speak words of life. Proverbs 18.21 The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. It's a great reminder, isn't it? Don't talk too much. Proverbs 10.14 Wise people treasure knowledge, but the babbling of a fool invites disaster. Proverbs 13, verses 2 and 3. Wise words will win you a good meal. I like that. But treacherous people have an appetite for violence. Those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. Psalm 64, verse 3. They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim their bitter words like arrows. That's how powerful words can be. James 3 verse 6. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. For it's set on fire by hell itself. That's strong words, isn't it? But what comes out of our mouth can be of the devil. Proverbs fifteen twenty three. Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It's wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. Sometimes it's almost impossible too, but it can be done. Be encouraged. Proverbs 15.1 A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. It's not about fighting fire with fire. She said this to me, I'll say that back to her. He said this to me, well, I've got some great words for him next time I see him. It's not about fighting fire with fire. And I love this one, the last one. Proverbs 10, the first part of verse 11. The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that encouraging? For Zechariah, they were words of doubt. But he had time to reflect and he got it right. My prayer for you, my encouragement to you, is to make sure that your words are a life-giving fountain, that they don't cause doubt in the mind of those around, but rather encourage life. What we say matters. Every word we say matters. It matters to God. It matters to those around us. So the power of life and death is in the tongue. Choose life. Choose life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God we can trust. You are rock solid. We can stand on your promises and believe your word. 
Father, we want to do that. We want to believe, but help us in our times of unbelief. Lord, I pray that as we head through this week, that you will prompt us often with reminders of what we're saying. But we'll be speaking words of life. We won't be speaking words that drag people down and cause them to waver and to doubt. That our words will match our title of Christian. That people will know we are Christians because of the love we have for them and the way we speak with them. Heavenly Father, you're a good God. We thank you that you're merciful. And even when we need to be silenced and need to be rebuked and reminded of things, that you're there to guide us and to love us always. Amen.